We good here? There we are. So uh, I'm not giving my testimony tonight. Somebody else was going to, and they weren't able to be here. So you're going to get 2 Samuel chapter 9 instead. Uh, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, out of the whole Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 9. And in this chapter, you're going to hear about somebody that you've probably never heard their name. Anybody heard the name Mephibosheth? Show of hands. Oh, that's pretty good, actually. Okay, so like a third of us. Well, the other two-thirds, one-third is going to be reminded, and the other two-thirds, you're about to love the story of Mephibosheth. It is the one of the most incredible stories. It's the only time that he's mentioned throughout Scripture, uh, kind of this unknown forgotten figure tied to one of the most memorable, important figures in the Bible, and the story is the gospel. The gospel is hidden in plain sight in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So I'm going to read the story uh, first off to like set the stage, but as a little bit of a setup, here's what I would tell you first. So in ancient Near East kingdoms, what you would do when a new king would assume a throne is they would go and put to death every other family lineage from the previous king because you didn't want soon their son of the previous king to rise up and then come in conflict with the new king to try to take the throne. So if there was an heir to the throne, but a new king conquers the land, he's now reigning and on the throne, you wanted to wipe out all the other heritage of that king's sons so that they didn't rise up and come try to reclaim the kingdom. That's just what happened. Still happens in some parts of the world. It's what happens like when you see uh, throughout the scriptures with Herod, like when is announced to Herod whenever the Magi are coming and they're saying, you know, he's like, what have you come from? Well, we've come to visit the newborn king. Well, where is he? He's in Bethlehem. And Herod's like, then kill everybody two years and younger, every male two years and younger, kill them because nobody's going to raise up to take my kingdom. That's what we're seeing here in the ancient Near East. It's what happened throughout kind of the, the you know, land of Israel, Canaan, Middle East there. So you've got that going on. And there is one line of kings. It's Saul. Next in line to be king is Jonathan. And after Jonathan, his son Mephibosheth. Now Saul is known for being a proud, self-actualizing king. He was one who had worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow. And so as he's going about his business, he's more concerned about his kingdom and what the people think of him than God's kingdom and obeying the Lord in a humble way. And so as he's running his own offense... Samuel, the prophet, comes to him and says, hey, you, you are committing the sin of witchcraft because of what you're doing. Like, you're trying to bring about things by your own means. That's why he says that to him, of, of uh, witchcraft. Like, what you're trying to do, you're trying to conjure this up on your own. And so the kingdom will be torn from you. And he uses that specific analogy because Saul reaches to grab Saul, uh, Samuel and is like, no, no, don't, don't let this be. And he tears Samuel, the prophet's robe, and he says, so you have torn my robe, the kingdom will be torn from you. It's not going to go through your family. It won't be passed to Jonathan and then to Mephibosheth. Instead, it ends and it will be given over to another king. It's given to, it's given to David. And David at that point in time was a shepherd boy. And then, you know, slays Goliath when really he was just delivering the groceries. Like he, he brought some cheese and bread. And over here is like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? It says that in the Bible. Uh, mocking the armies of God. And they're like, well, it's Goliath. 
And, and, and Saul says, well, here's my sword and my shield and my helmet. Put these on. And he's like, I, I can't do it. Throws them off, grabs his shepherd's sling. <clears throat> and he says, the Lord, he grabs a sling with five stones. He says, the Lord has delivered your servant from both lion and bear. And he will deliver this wicked Philistine into my hands today and I will cut his head off. And he does with his own sword, Goliath's sword. And so all of a sudden, Saul's looking and, ha- and is like filled with jealousy. At first, it's like, oh, praise God, little shepherd boy just waxed our enemy. But then all of a sudden, they start singing songs about David, not so much about Saul, that Saul's killed his thousands, but David's is ten thousands. And there is a, there's a power struggle, not between <clears throat> David, really. David's not grasping for anything. He's a man after God's heart. He's just waiting for the Lord to tap him. Though he's already been anointed, he doesn't grasp for what not his. Um, Saul, on the other hand, is like enraged with jealousy. And so the, the kingdom's just being devoured from Saul and David's waiting. All the while, Jonathan makes a covenant. Jonathan is faithful and sees this happening. And he can see with like clear kingdom, not his own kingdom, like eternal kingdom eyes. And he sees what's going on. He's like, oh, David is the Lord's anointed. It's not me, even though he was the one to rule Israel. Like he was next in line, but is not filled with his father's jealousy. And instead is like, it's you. It's so clearly you, David. And so Jonathan makes a covenant with David and says, when you're older and when we're older, remember me and the kindness that you have shown to me, may it always extend to my family. He's saying like, my family's going away. Your family's taking the throne. Please don't forget me. They were best buds. And he, in a place of humility, was like, you're the king. Even though you're not wearing the crown yet, you're the king. And please just always show kindness to my family. And David says, it will be so. And they have this like deep best friend kindredness and they make a covenant. Well, through the course of events, Saul and Jonathan are warring against the Philistines and they, they die. They're killed. Actually, actually, Saul commits suicide and Jonathan's killed is the facts of the story. But they both die in battle against the Philistines. It's a mess. And the kingdom then goes to David. David's now reigning in Jerusalem. And he's sitting there one day amidst all of his like prosperity. He's conquered kingdoms. He is, he is there in absolute safety. He doesn't need a thing. He is a king rightly reigning at this point in time. Um, and here's what happens. I'm pausing because I'm like, I don't know that he was rightly reigning. I think he might have just had a good moment. No, he was rightly reigning. Bathsheba comes right after that. He was rightly reigning. So if you're rightly reigning in your life right now, watch out. Because you might walk out of here and see a Bathsheba. Or if you're a girl, you might see a David and end up in sin. So uh, rightly reign, stay near to God. I'm going to read it now. We're going to go through the text and then I'm going to unpack it a little bit. Uh, Anne's looking at me, I know, already being like, go quicker. You always go long. It's true. 2 Samuel 9, David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He's remembering the covenant that he made from 1 Samuel 20. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David and the king said to him, actually I should probably read off the ESV, huh? So you guys are like hearing the same stuff. 
Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. He's not saying, yeah, I'm Saul's servant. He's like, I'm your servant. Please, king, I'm, I'm not a bad guy. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I might show kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Now, a little bit about this. The Philistines come raiding into Israel and so the family is escaping. They pick up Mephibosheth, little like toddler, probably Mephibosheth, maybe baby. And as the like nurse, helper, handmaid, whatever you would call her, picks up Mephibosheth to flee from the coming army, drops him, probably from horseback or something, but drops him from such a height that both his legs break. Well, there's no ER to take him to. So his legs heal back in a crippled way. They're not straight. And so he then is just like left alone because Saul and Jonathan are killed subsequently. And so he's just dropped off at Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. And Ziba doesn't even give his name. He just says, well, there's one, and he's crippled. Basically, he's telling David, you don't need to worry about him. He's not a threat. He's not going to rise up and take the throne, David. Don't worry about him. He's a cripple. He can't even walk. He's not going to come after you, David. You don't have to worry about that one rather than just saying, yeah, there's one. Lodabar means nothing in Hebrew. There's a crippled one in nothing land. Verse five, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, Lodabar, and Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. His name in Hebrew means dying one of shame. How do you like that for a name? Your dad and your grandfather are slaughtered in battle. Or one commits suicide and the other one's killed. Your dad's killed in battle. You're dropped while fleeing from the enemy. You can't even walk. And they drop you in off in a place called nothing. And your name is dying one of shame. It continues in verse 6. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said... Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant on his face. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of, your, of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show such regard to a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to this house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may, may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, meaning there's a lot of land to work. And Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord, the king, commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. 
So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Here's what I want to tell you tonight, and the reason why this is one of my most favorite passages in scriptures is because I was a dying one of shame, living in nothing, and I deserved death from the king who reigns. I was a rebel against him. And by the way, when I say I, I mean we. The scriptures are really clear that apart from God, we were children of wrath, dead in our sins, enemies of God, slaves to sin and Satan. We were dead men walking, dead men and women walking, like enemies of God. Couldn't be in a worse place. And we're deserving of death. For the wages of sin are death. What we deserve because of our sin and rebellion against God is death. That's Romans 6.23, the first half. It's what we deserved. We were Mephibosheth. And some of you still are. We are dying ones of shame, dying because of the, the shame of the sin that we had committed against God, dying because of the sin that was committed against us. We were dying ones of shame, living, living in nothingness because we didn't have God. As Ephesians 2 said, living without hope, without covenants and promises, without God. We were living in nothingness, this, this state of like a dog chasing our tail, just living for the next sin, the next tie, the next money, the next girl, the next status. Just nothingness and sin, dying one of shame, living in nothingness. And what we deserved was death. We were dying, first point. But just like Mephibosheth, here in verse 7, it says, well, let's see. Sorry, this is what happens when you preach from the hip. David calls him. <laughs> Where is that? It's verse four. Where is he? And he says, bring him here. And so they bring him there. We're called. Like we're dying ones of shame and God calls us. The Father calls us. No one comes to the Father unless he is called. There are the elect that God calls. He sees us dead in our sins and we can't help ourselves. A dead man can't do anything. Unless God awakens him. Ephesians 2, it says, God made us alive. He makes you alive. We were called. That's Romans 8, 29 through 30, where it says, those who is called, he is predestined, and those who he predestined would be glorified. Like he'll take you from the calling all the way through the justification through the sanctification by the Spirit all the way to the glorification when we will be face to face with God, away from the presence of sin, washed fully. But he calls us. He calls us when we are dead in our sins. And tonight, for some of you, you need to remember your calling. You need to remember that you were that dying one of shame and that God called you. He's not mad at you. And for others, you need to hear that tonight he's calling you. He's calling you that you would be saved He's extending an invitation right now through me saying there is forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ and that God is no longer counting your sins against you if you would place your faith in Jesus who died on the cross for your sins and raised again. He was not just a man. Man don't raise from the dead. Jesus did, showing that he was God in flesh. 
that tonight you could be called. He's calling for you right now that you could be saved. And then beyond that, there's the dying, there's the calling, and then thirdly, there's abiding. Because Mephibosheth didn't go back to Lodabar. I don't know that he had anything to pack up and nothing land, but when he came, when Ziba brought him from Lodabar to Jerusalem, it said he lives there all of his days and that he always ate at the king's table as a son. It says in Ephesians chapter one that we have been adopted by the Father through the blood of Jesus, now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing God's inheritance of you. Sons and daughters adopted. Mephibosheth was adopted in, grafted in because of a covenant. Jonathan and David made a covenant. Mephibosheth is now in David's family, seated at his table because of a covenant. Jesus said, I have shed my blood, my body broken because of the new covenant, the new covenant made in my blood. That new covenant now extended to you, washing over you that you could be sons and daughters, now seated at the table of the Father of the king, no longer his enemy. Enemies don't sit and feast and have meals and fellowship with the reigning authority. Sons and daughters do. And so it said Mephibosheth in verse 12, and Mephibosheth had a, nun, a young, or 13, sorry, in verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Always. And so the thirdly, it's dying, calling, and abiding. That for those of you who have responded to that call and said, I trust Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, he doesn't just save you, he keeps you safe. And so you abide with him. It's a daily abiding relationship with God. Not once and for all, but once every day that we're just walking with him homeward. It's an abiding relationship. I would be a terrible husband if I just put a ring on my finger on July 16th, 2011 and never talked to my wife ever since. But instead, we made a covenant and now we walk together on a daily basis and we are the bride of Christ. And we are walking home and awaiting his return. And we always eat at the king's table. That's where we now get our bread. Not from the world, not from temptation, not from the lures of sin, but we get our bread, our sustenance, our, in Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our being. We always eat at the king's table. That's where we get our sustenance. It's from the Father. And in the very last verse, right after it says he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. Now why in the world did they tell us that again? Why did the Holy Spirit have the rider of 2 Samuel chapter 9 include now he was lame in both feet? We already knew that, didn't we? But it's like he was reminding us, don't forget who you were before. Don't forget that you were a dying one of shame. Don't forget all that he rescued you from. Don't ever forget that I was an alcoholic who used to mock God and mistreat women, and chase after money. Don't ever forget the crippling of my soul that he rescued me from. Because if I start to forget, I'll stop eating at the king's table. Now, I'm, that is not my identity anymore. And Mephibosheth's identity 
was he was one of, his, one of David's sons, as one of his sons, and he always ate at the table. But just like Paul writes in 1 Timothy, he says, even though I was once a blasphemer, persecutor, and violent man, like he never forgot, even as he's talking to Timothy, that's who I was, but it's not who I am because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So for all of us here, we at one point in time were dying, and some of you may still be. But there is a calling where the grace of God is extended to every single person. He desires for no one to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and there is no other, for there is no other name by which men are saved. Dying, calling, and abiding, that now we walk with him, and we do so with the body of Christ. And that's the story of 2 Samuel 9, Mephibosheth, of which we all are. And so may we always eat at the king's table.